What are the essential characteristics of a great leader? How do you put together a high-performing team? If a leader wants to be motivated, he or she should solely think about what they are going to get. They should concentrate on what they can control and what they will obtain. Dr. David Snyder will discuss how he brings up transformations in this episode. He'll discuss how to detach, rebuild, and re-energize oneself in a healthy way. Stay tuned. The world messenger, and I have another absolute epic legacy leadership for all of you that are super excited to hear what we're covering this episode. I have a pleasure to hear in action Dr. David Snyder, who is um, extremely skilled in so many ways. He's also a doctor of acupuncture and Chinese medicine, which is fantastic to add to his repertoire or what he's really exceptional at, which is also an NLP. Um, trainer and really world guru in NLP and mindset shift and change, as well as a person that actually not only understands so well human behavior from different angles than we typically see, but is also certified hypnosis a trainer. And seeing how he makes and match a different energetically skill sets, uh, depending who his audience it is or who he is speaking to and how he can make it transformation happen in just a snap of the finger. I mean, guys, that is called mastery. So we have a master, Dr. David Snyder, here with us tonight. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. I know you're extremely busy and in high demand with all of your skills that you are acquired over the years. And I really, before we go and depict how did you arrive to the mastery and all what you do, could you please give us a little bit about your personal background? Where did you grow up and how did you really start into a very interesting, very unique discipline to master? Uh, well, a lot of the things that I teach started out as a personal journey for me to overcome a lot of the setbacks and uh, the problems I had growing up. Growing up, I was uh, I was not the most socially adept kid. Uh, my social skills were remedial at best. Um, I was not, I was, I was the, the classic kid who was bigger around than he was tall, you know, and, and I was constantly bullied and picked on and always the last to be picked for things. Uh, always just having the, the, the knack to say the wrong thing at the wrong time or, or to wind up being the scapegoat for somebody else's pranks. And it, it just wasn't a very happy time for me growing up from the time I was, um, you know, maybe seven or eight years old up through about 11 or 12 was really uh, a rough, a rough time for me. High school was still rough, but I was on a, I was on a path at that time. And it was right about that time that my mom of all people brought home a hypnosis audio cassette. And my 11 year old self kind of said, what's that? And she goes, well, my doctor gave it to me to help me lose weight. And I go, and I went to her, well, how does that work? She goes, well, it reprograms my mind so that I can do things. And I'm like, really? You can you can do that. What else can you do with it? And I started I fell in love with the, the, the concept of, you know, using the mind and the powers of the mind to transform. And it became a lifelong journey for me, um, you know, uh, in terms of enhancing my social skills, my physical appearance, my abilities uh, in confidence and self-esteem. Uh, I, I just caught that hypnosis bug and um, I just became relentless. Um, and, and about maybe 13, 14 years old, when I started discovering girls and things of that nature, um, I realized that 
I, I needed a lot more help than I thought. <laughs> and I decided that I wanted to be irresistible. I wanted to figure out how to use these skills to be so charismatic and so persuasive um, that I could just get people to like me and want to be around me. And, and it was really the pursuit of, you know, getting girls, being cool and kicking butt because I'm, I'm a lifelong martial artist. Uh, that kind of drove me to study book after book, course after course, to scrimp and save, to get my hands on classes. And every now and then I'd find one of these little gold, solid gold nuggets amidst this, this pile of stuff. And I'd take that little nugget of information that I knew was useful, that I could see the work, and I'd put it in my little bag. And after about 10 or 15 years of collecting all these nuggets, I took them all out one day and I noticed something about them is that they weren't nuggets. They were more like Legos. And that you could put these things together in a bunch of different ways in a synerg and synergistically create transformation, socially, internally, physically. And, and I just, I got, I, got, I was on fire because I realized there was, there was something deeper. You know, when you first start, you know, martial arts, hypnosis, NLP, metaphysics, energy, right? They're, they all look like five very, very different, very, very separate psychology. At, at three, you know, in, in, at fourth grade, I was going to this, like reading psychology books like, written by Freud and guys like that, right? I was, just, I was on a mission, right? But you got, you know, these six or seven different areas that look like very discrete, very separate skill sets. But if you go deep enough into them and you start looking for patterns, then what happens is those discrete things start to do this. And before you know it, you're, you're, you're not dealing with seven or eight different areas. You're dealing with one thing that has six different aspects. And you can put these together in ways that I think the universe and God or goddess, depending on what your view is, intended them to be used. And so a lot of the things that we do, the transformations you see me do or hear me do on Clubhouse, or if you watch my, my YouTube channel, has about 170,000 subscribers on it. Um, and you watch, and we have a ton of like 300 videos of very long videos. And you watch the transformations that people go through. It's because we've, we've discovered that every division of the human being has a language. And if you can understand how these languages intersect and connect, when you put them together the right way, you get a whole that's greater than the sum of the parts. Literal magic emerges from a human being. And so the changes become very, very deep, very, very uh, pervasive and very, very fast. And so that's kind of it started with me, me just wanting to go out and fix my stuff. You know, stop feeling bad about myself, start feeling guilty and stop getting picked on and understand being able to read people and understand people. And what happened is, as I as I solved those problems for me, I realized that there were other kindred spirits out there, people who had the same problems, had the same needs and desires. And I just started looking for ways to share this information with them. And they started getting results and, and it just kind of compounded. And, and that's kind of how we're here today. 
Yeah. Brilliant. And obviously so many hours and, and, and decades of work to, to that mastery. But I love how you actually uh, have so many different pillars to really build on. And I love how you also said it's a, like a Legos depending on scenario, because a lot of times people do cookie cutter approach and mm-hmm. doesn't work and doesn't give you uh, impact that it's intended to because it's not as transformative because it's not specific to that person right. to the level that you're capable of doing. And for everybody that is on the clubhouse, guys, I will highly recommend to check it out uh, and, and look for uh, Dr. David Snyder there to follow him and, and definitely be in the rooms when he goes through that. I, I had a, just so many high moments just by listening and I could even see you and I could just feel in my, you know, skin of like inspired just like energetically how impactful that is and it was not even directed to me personally, was with somebody else in the room and was just so amazing. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, and I love what you also mentioned, David, uh, if you don't mind. Not at all. Obviously, um, with early generations, with children, when, when they're still impressionable, when they're still going through their early stages and with the level of, level of trauma that we're seeing right now and everything else that is happening. So how is this uh, concept applicable to people that really experience so much of trauma in either early on in life or throughout their life so that they can truly function as best as possibly can? Okay. Well, uh, again, a lot there are different models of how trauma works. Uh, as a regression therapist, we know that the vast majority of stuff that screws people up later up in life actually has its roots from zero to five years old. Right. And so a lot of the, the modalities that really help in dissolving trauma tend to address the events that happened at that age. Now, one of the most powerful processes that um, that we have found, and, and I use this with my seven year old. So, I mean, it, it, it's it's very we call it the color game. And there, I could I could spend six or seven hours explaining the science, the neuroscience and everything else behind this. But let's just assume for a moment that when we have every everything human beings do, positive or negative, all behaviors, all beliefs, um, all trauma um, memories that we have, everything that human beings do is based on a feeling. It's either a feeling they want more of or a feeling they want a whole lot less of. Now, we know from neuroscience research that we have a body feeling first and then we assign a label to it. And then once the, neuro, the, the neurology assigns a label to it, all the memories that are similar get connected to that. So one of the things that we can do right off the bat, and you take, it takes a little bit of self-awareness to do this, is the moment we have a negative body feeling and we start to find ourselves putting a label on it, one of the very first things we can do is we can ask our neurology a question. We can say, what else could this be? So you're, you're, maybe you're going to go out on stage, for example, and you, you got, you, maybe you have a fear of public speaking. You got that heart beating. You got the, the sweats coming out. And you're saying, oh, I'm a fright. I have stage fright. Well, stop and ask yourself, well, what else could this be? Maybe I'm excited. Right. Maybe I'm anticipating. Yes. Right. And all of a sudden, the moment you disconnect the label from the sensation, you you create the opportunity for a reinterpretation of that feeling. Okay, so that is for those people who have like chronic anxiety or chronic depression, the minute they become aware of it, if they just stop and say, what else could this be? You have a chance to to nip that in the butt. There's another thing that we do called color breathing. And and the reason I want to talk about it is because when you have a body feeling. 
If you ask your, there's six characteristics. This is, this is something that's going to help you. The unconscious mind, your autonomic nervous system always answers first. Yeah. It always answers honestly. It's always going to feel like you're making it up. You're always going to have an urge to edit what just came up. How many times have some, something's popped into your head and there's this little voice that says, no, that's not right. That can't be it. Well, if it came up first, it may not be linearly connected to what you think, but it's direct. It's, it's directly relevant because your unconscious mind always gives you the information you ask for. You just don't always recognize it. So always answers first, always answers honestly, always feels like you're making it up. You always have an urge to edit what just came up. So the part of you that something comes up and all of a sudden, oh, that's not right. That's that editing. The minute you find yourself doing that, trust the information you just got. Because that's your conscious mind, which is the part that keeps you stuck trying to interfere with the process. The last couple of, of aspects is, is the information is almost never loud. In other words, the real problem, the real source of the issue is almost always off in the distance, like a whim or a notion in the back of your mind. And it's almost never linear in Pretty much 9.5 times out of 10. When you ask somebody, in trance or not, when was the first time you ever felt a feeling like this? Almost inevitably, they're, they're a kid. Right? Go back to the very first scene, situation, or event that is the source, the beginning, the root cause of XYZ problem. How young might you be when you first feel a feeling like that? They go seven. Right? They came to you for something that happened when they were 35. And yet they're seven years old watching their parents argue or, or, or some weird, sometimes often uh, in seemingly insignificant thing that happened. Either way, that's a hook. But there's going to be a body feeling connected to that. And what you want to do is you want to isolate that body feeling. So just point to where you feel it. That's the fastest way to fix anything. Point to where you feel it and ask your neurology a question. If there was a color connected to that feeling... What color would it be? First impression or color or colors, right? Whatever comes up is what you go with. Now, here's where the magic happens. Ask yourself the next question. If my autonomic nervous system, my subconscious mind, my higher self could send me a feeling, a frequency, a vibration that would completely dissolve this problem away, this feeling of our color away, what color would it send me? First impression, breathe that color, breathe that color through the affected area and you'll see it, you'll see it start to dissolve and melt and it'll, it'll dissolve in one of three ways. It'll, if, if, if the area is this big, you breathe the color through it and it goes and it shrinks. Maybe not if best case scenario, it goes away, boom, one swipe, but there's a couple other ways it can manifest. So it's this big, you breathe that first color through, it shrinks. So what color is this one? Cause it's not the same issue. It's a different issue. That's similar. What color would this one be? Uh, this one's purple. Okay. What color would dissolve it? Red. You breathe red through it shrinks again. Oh, what color is this one? This one's green. What color would dissolve it? Silver. That's called the Russian doll effect. Right. And so and the, the, the big term is body mapping. And what happens is many times your unconscious mind will nest similar uh, body feelings that have a, something in, in common within one another. And so as you shrink this down, you're actually getting closer and closer to the original source. Another thing that can happen and you just keep you just keep playing the color game, as we call it until it's gone. Another thing that can happen is like you point to where you feel it, you breathe the color through it, it moves. You, you get the color, you point to where you feel it, you, you, you add a color through it, it moves again. And you're just literally chasing it through the body. 
So these are the, the three different ways that you can start to dissolve embodied trauma. There's, and we have, and that's a very, I play this with my seven-year-old who from, and it works on everything from physical injuries to emotional pain. Um, another way that you can do it, if you know, there's an emotion that you want to deal with an event that you want to deal with, you ask the person looking back on that scene as the you of today, if God could reach down and hand you the cosmic do-over button, the universal recess switch that would allow you to step back through the wormhole of time and space and change it all. If anything was allowed, if everything was allowed, what would you like to see happen for that younger version of yourself instead? And you have them, and they're going to tell you what they want. And you say, here's what I want you to do right now. I call this your Steven Spielberg moment. I want you to create an alternate reality movie where that younger version is getting exactly what they want and need in that moment to be the happiest, joyful little camper on the planet. And I want you to make that movie awesome. Make it as big as a drive-in movie theater screen, crystal clear like an IMAX. Turn up the sound, the smells, the tastes, the feelings. Best life ever. And I want you to watch that movie over and over and over again. And when they're nice and deep into it, I say, notice there's a place in your body where the feelings connected to that wonderful experience start. Where they grow and where they spread from. Point to where you feel it. Have them turn it into a color. Breathe that color through the affected area where the trauma was, it dissolved. Wow. And that is, as an educator, that's so easy to also do it with children, specifically mm-hmm. younger one, as you pointed out, the low seven, but in the same time, just seeing the magnitude and how kids are affected with everything that is going on, mm-hmm. with COVID, with isolation, with not being in classroom with their friends and, and, and just not having that. But also, as you know, a lot of uh, domestic stuff that is happening, it's a creating such a huge pain point. Mm-hmm. And I find, you know, them and elderly being so the most vulnerable, but then also seeing in general what has happened with people with losses of jobs, sense of security or, or their own identity that they cannot separate from whatever that title was or whatever the position or whatever the, the role they played in, in personal and professional life. So it creates really some, so, so much sense of pain and suffering and struggle. Mm-hmm. And then also if you witness so much repetitively that uh, accumulates over a period of time. So I'm sure you've seen it as, you, mm-hmm. as you've been working effectively with law enforcement and, and people in very high stress frontline workers mm-hmm. and in environments that truly do make impact over a period of time. How do you you detach how do you rebuild and re-energize yourself in a way in a healthy way right mm-hmm. but also how to let go of things you cannot have a control over and you don't own it right well one of the again one of the things is remember that you can't control situations but you can control yourself so one of the yeah. most useful tools for gaining control of your own state in any given situation or circumstance is what we in our systems call physiological state control you see your physiology controls your psychology now we're we're taught in the self-help fields in the yoga fields that the mind controls the body and in certain contexts that's true enough to be true if you're a longtime meditator uh, a, a dedicated yogi, Buddhist monk, Taoist priest, special forces, uh, trained operatives, um, elite athletes, you definitely have an ability to exert your willpower over your physiology. That's, that's something that they focus on. But for us normal, average, day-to-day human beings, we are far more at the mercy 
of our posture and our breathing, the, 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 the sensations going on in our body. And it's those things that will actually directly impact our mental state. Now, that's both a blessing and a curse because if we don't understand this, we don't know to, to do it. But for every psycho-emotional state that you have, there is a corresponding posture and breathing pattern that triggers it. And it's, a, and it's a feedback loop. So you go into an emotional state, your posture and your breathing automatically change. The inverse is also true. If you change your posture and your breathing and you hold it for as little as two minutes, your state must change. And the beautiful thing about that is it takes the minimum amount of willpower to hold a posture for two minutes than it does to summon up all of your willpower and will yourself to feel a certain way. Because one of the first things that happens is when, the, when a, a, a huge amount of neurological arousal, negative stress, for example, hits the system, we start burning up willpower resources. We lose our ability to exert willpower because our willpower is a finite resource. It's based on the amount of blood sugar we have and the amount of sleep. That's called willpower depletion theory, right? It's by, you can read a book, uh, Willpower by Roy Baumeister, if you want to go over that. And so a lot of times we burn up this emotional, this willpower fuel every time we have to control a negative emotion or squelch an emotional response. And since most of us are constantly being bombarded, getting cut off in the street, being under this COVID haze, we're constantly having to, to manage much more negative arousal than we're used to. And so we aren't, we aren't operating with as, as, a full, as, as full a tank as we could. Yes. So in spite of that, if we can change our posture, change our breathing and hold it for as little as two minutes, we can break any state that we're in. And then what we do, we create another Steven Spielberg moment. We imagine what we want instead. Or we remember a time in our life when we felt the most absolute wonderful pleasure ever. We make a movie, we turn it into a color, we pull it over our head, we fill the room with it, we wrap it around our body, we breathe it through our body, and your entire physiology will change. That is so powerful, and thank you for giving to our listeners and people that are watching such a simple, yet insanely powerful tools to self-regulate, because right now in, uh, in the world I play in with the leaders and high pressure and, and a lot of decisions, when everything collides in personal and professional life, where emotional capacity is uh maximized right mm -hmm. and then you also have the social capacity how much they can truly help and continue helping in, in people in their own environment and it's like you stretch you can't build an intelligence overnight but if you don't have a big capacity for both of those aspects mm -hmm. you can't really lead effectively as a result starts bleeding through in everything we do mm -hmm. right well you know we expect our leaders to be mentally tough and resilient and and one of the things that has to happen is a leader more than anyone else has to be in control of themselves, right? And they have to have that mental toughness and they have to, you have to exemplify it. You have to demonstrate it by making decisions and, and, and having that emotional intelligence to express it in a way that doesn't alienate the people that are looking to them for that leadership. And so this is one of the things that does separate leaders from the, the wannabe leaders is, is, uh, people who are, are naturally dominant, who have a natural ability to regulate and be mentally tough when everybody else around them is, is, is losing their, 
their mind, so to speak. Yeah. I'm trying to stay away from colorful metaphors and expletives, but you know, um, I'm known for dropping the f bomb from time to time. So I'm trying to I'm trying to be <laughs> I, nice because it's not my podcast. Their shit is appropriate to say it. So many people are <laughs> um, losing their shit, yeah. and then you know, exactly that's exactly that's exactly the word I was using. Losing their shit, right? Everybody around you is losing. You can't use. So what I do is I send my students out once they learn how to do because we have a whole in our in our training we have a whole day devoted to nothing but controlling your state and radiating it out to other people and and actually causing them to fall into a similar state. So one of the things we do is we teach people how to do these drills and amplify their energetic amplitude. And then that ties, so we send them into places where people are super tense to start changing states in groups because there's a domino effect that happens. Now, you don't have to do that to, to develop the ability, but that's what we do. Um, but the idea is as, as a leader, you don't have to, you can't just be in charge of yourself. You have to radiate a sense of presence that comforts people and draws them in. And we call that the mastering commander technique in, in one of our, our influence courses. There's an actual physiology and breathing pattern and mind um, work that you do that puts you in this very calm, relaxed, dominant, authoritative state that makes people just want to follow your lead. They'll come. Like I, I tell my students, take this meta frame. Go to Walmart, go to Home Depot, any place where lots of people are, step into this frame and watch how many people ask you where stuff is. Right? Wow. Wow. It's, it's, it's so spot on. It's, it's energy. It's, it's so many elements. And right now, when we operate in environments, not only where we're virtually, when we don't necessarily have our audio, I mean, radio, but we just have our audio, like we're experiencing Clubhouse. Mm -hmm. It's just unbelievable when you really just listen. Yes. What, what, how much we absorb and how we absorb it's for some speakers more than the others, where we gravitate, which rooms we want to go to, who we wanted to listen, where we lean in, where we want to ask follow up questions and where we just feel like we just want to push back and, mm -hmm. and, and leave or, or just not engage. True. Uh, it's just so amazing roller coaster ride. But if we pay attention, we will not lie. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And this is what's cool about when you when you start looking at emotional state control through your physiology. One of the things that happens is that people try to to dominate their their mind and body through the conscious mind, which honestly is just not equipped to handle all the minutia that goes into that. And so many times people, as they consciously try to exert control over their emotions, over their their body, over their facial expressions, over their tonality, over their hand gestures. There's too many things for the conscious mind to track. And so you come off incongruent. Something leaks out. Oops. Hold on a second. Did I, did I lose you there? Okay, I'm back. <laughs> that was weird. You just you're just frozen and it's like and i'm like okay i can't hear you so it's, it's perfect because it's a new segment so we can edit mm -hmm. this and, and start okay. so if you don't mind just starting no not at all um so what i was saying was um the conscious mind can't can't keep track of all that those those moving parts but your unconscious mind is perfectly capable of doing that so if you start state control by generating a body feeling that you want to have and you do that through physiology and breathing, which is the easiest thing for you to control. Everything else starts to line up from the inside out. The moment your posture is right, your breathing normalizes. The minute your breathing normalizes, your, your tonality changes. 
the resonance in your voice changes, the speed at which you speak changes, your facial expressions are congruent with the body feelings that you have and your body language, what you do with your hands and the gestures that you make all match up with the body feeling. So if you want to be charismatic, you want to have presence, you want to be more leaderly, you need to generate a body feeling that allows you to organically, authentically radiate leadership, radiate authority, radiate sincerity. If you try to affect it by, by taking on the body language and, and doing the gestures that you learned out of a book, you're going to miss something. It's, 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 going to, it's not going to be in proper proportions and people are going to flag you as being insincere, inauthentic, um, a spaz many times because yes. your, your tonality doesn't match your gestures or, or whatever. Uh, so we teach people, if you want to be authentic, you want to be organic and you want to radiate dominance or leadership, whatever word you, you, you feel is more appropriate, start with a body feeling. The fastest way to get that body feeling is to change your posture and change your breathing. Hold it for at least two minutes and everything else like a domino effect will flow from there. That is amazing because I, 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 again, from my behavioral training and just intuitively work, you know, in such a, uh, a most unspeakable conditions over the years uh, and, and then crafting some things, you know, how do you read the room, right? Mm -hmm. Specifically, how do you read in a C-suite or how do we read a different nonverbal? And I always say, you know, we have a verbal nonverbal and then we have an energy. Mm -hmm. And how do you really make a choices and decisions? And one book that stands out right in the back of, of your bookshelves, never be lied to again. Mm -hmm. It's just like listening for intention and conviction in a voice. What is that voice projecting? Mm -hmm. And is the voice coming of the truth? Or is the voice coming just to tell us what we wanted to hear? And how is that interpreted? And, and even with the deals, and even with the you know, negotiations, it's just unbelievable if you have that mm -hmm. versus if it's a passive through texts and to words that are written, right? Versus the words that are spoken. Exactly. There's just so much intent there. So do you mind sharing a little bit about that as well? Because we're seeing a lot of stuff happening right now. People are desperate. They're trying all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. this is also trying to make the best decisions they can. A lot of times they're not reading the cues and or, or possible partnerships or whatever it is. And I think this will help so many people also to in tune uh, with, with that with that shift that is happening as well. Okay. So can you kind of give me a, a more precise question and maybe I can give you a better sure. answer? Sorry, I apologize. No I'm just curious, what, from your experience, specifically dealing with the decision makers and, and obviously being mastering on, uh, on, on as truthfulness and authenticity and everything we were talking about, mm -hmm. what would you recommend for leaders to pay attention specifically as they're trying to make a decisions or important decisions that have not only financial implication, but mm -hmm. implication around the people? All right. Are we, are we, are we, sorry. Um, go ahead. I'll finish what you were going to say. How to in tune with that and to know if something is right to proceed or how to probe for more, what to pay attention to, okay. etc. Okay. Well, first and foremost, context is vitally important, right? If I'm going in to pitch a, vent, a VC, a venture capitalist deal or a, a new business proposal, I have to have my frame right. I have to have who I am, what I'm offering, uh, very, very clear in myself. And I also have to change how I think about that meeting. If I go in there saying, I hope they buy my course. I hope they, I hope they invest in my company. I'm already going in, in my mind one down, right? Here's the thing. If they're, and again, these are re, what we call reframes and they're all true. 
but each one, and they're all based on the same facts, but they're all points of view, and they can all be true, but each one will lead you to a different outcome, depending on which one you embrace. So if I go into that, and we'll just use a VC, just for venture capitalists, if I go in there thinking, now oh, I hope they buy, or I hope they invest, or um, you know, what if they say no? First of all, I've lost the frame right there, right? But if I think to myself, how can I help them solve their problems? You know, the very fact that they took the meeting with me means that they see the value, the potential value in what I have to offer. How can I help them? How can I show them how I can solve their problem? Right. And just even though it's, it's the same deal, it's the same information, the perspective, the, the meaning you wrap around what you do, your place in that frame will dramatically impact how their first impression of you is. And you have about seven seconds from the time you walk in. Uh, to the time you start speaking to to set that first impression. In fact, I was ta I was actually tasked by one of the the top of the big four accounting firms, can't mention their name for obvious reasons, to develop a system of a complete system of nonverbal influence. And we had the entire seven seconds mapped out in terms of body language and things to look for. So one of the things, but one of the things that has to be right is who are you to the uh, as you go in there. Because one of the things that happens is the people that you're presenting to will try to undermine your confidence. They will try to undermine your position so they can get the best deal. And one of the things they're going to do is they're going to do that, A, to see if they can manipulate you, and B, if you're really certain about what you're presenting. Right. So some of the things that, that are really useful is going in there with the mindset that I'm here to help them solve a problem, which is exactly how I landed the, that, that big four deal was they, they had heard about me through a, a common colleague. I walked in there and I looked at him and I said, how can I help you? And I was like, and he just, he just did a double take because he was expecting me to pitch him on something. And he said, well, well, this is what I need. And, and here's the secret. Whatever comes out of somebody's mouth is exactly what they want to hear back. There's a, it's a, there's a little technique we teach called the echo technique that automatically triggers people to just focus in on you and feel like you're really paying attention to them. And they bond with you and get a very deep rapport with you. And they, they just start running off the mouth, which gives you all the information you need to get them to bond and, and gain that rapport. But really, the, the meaning you wrap around the meeting and your place in it prior to going in is probably the single most important piece as to how you come off. If you go in there thinking that you're one down in any way, if you're uncertain about the value proposition and what it will do for the people, if you're uncertain of your information, then that's going to undermine your confidence. It's going to undermine your body language. But if you find a way to change the perspective on that meeting, the frame that you wrap around it to where you're doing them a favor, yeah. You understand? Now okay. you're the, the one. Up, now you come in mentally here, which gives yeah. you more comfort, more confidence, more dominance, and the ability to adapt. Another thing you can do, and this comes from uh, uh, one of my uh, peers in the in the behavioral influence field, Chris Voss, who wrote a book called Never Split the Difference. If yeah. you would like to be thirty percent better at everything. You want to be 30% smarter, 31% actually, 31% smarter, 31% more adaptable, 31% more intelligent, 31% more intuitive. Adopt a playful, easygoing energy and you will be 31% better at everything. And that comes from the field of hostage negotiation. 
Yes. Right. Yeah. And, and, and Mr. Voss discovered that when the, the negotiator was in a playful, casual, easygoing mood, he was 30% more successful, 31% more adaptive, creative. And even most importantly, I think, is, is for us doing any kinds of, of, of meetings, his counterpart, the hostage taker, was 30% more compliant. That is beautiful. Wow. Such a great statistic. And, and, and when it's life and death situation, that makes all the difference. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when, when we, we, we talk about uh, skill sets, people think that this is manipulation. And, and in reality, we manipulate in so many different ways for outcome that we want and desire. But it's, it's, it's to me, uh, this is more than anything art. And knowing when you know when you're coming from right place and that you can help, mm -hmm. it's not just the desire, I, I just want to get a deal. It's desire. Desire, knowing that I can do the best job for you, exactly. and that's why you choose me. It's two different things, and I think that a lot of people abuse that. And and it's just so interesting to see so many sales funnels and how the big companies are training their salespeople. As you mentioned, not everybody is doing that from uh, from from the proper frame because they wanted to adjust the outcome. Exactly. But they don't really do of the process and deliver, delivery. So do you mind just expanding a little bit more so that people really understand this sure. is still with authenticity, with integrity, with all those great values that leaders need to or should be exuding. Mm -hmm. And this is not about manipulation. It's no. just more about relationships yeah. and, and depth and intimacy of those relationships. And, and you, you, you hit on some major power words there. Value, intimacy depth, relationships. This is the core of our whole approach to people, to training people for sales and, and connectivity. There's two basic approaches. One is predominant. The other is a little lesser known. It's become a little bit more known now, large, a lot from my work and from other people who've studied neuro-linguistic programming and things of that nature. Most people are trained in what is commonly referred to as a features and benefits approach. They have a yeah. list of things that their company does, and there's a benefit connected to each of those things. And the, the idea is I'm going to go in, I'm going to throw all these features and benefits at you, hoping something sticks, and then I'm going to answer any objections that you have. Yes. Okay. This is still a very common approach, and it's one of the, the hardest ways to figure out what people actually want and need. There's another approach that I teach my students. It was derived from NLP. We've been spending a lot of time honing it, and we call it the emotional bonding checklist. Now, at the beginning of our, our talk today, I said that everything human beings do is in response to a feeling. It's either a feeling they want more of or a feeling they want a whole lot less of. Well, when people buy something or when people are in the market for something, they ought, their neurology, their unconscious mind automatically creates a little checklist inside their mind that defines what the ideal X is, the ideal widget, right? There's a, there's a set of parameters. And when those, when those boxes are checked, the body generates a feeling that lets them know it's, it's good, it's right, it's perfect for them. And they're moving through the world looking for that feeling. And then they give that feeling a label, right? Now, you will create an emotional bonding checklist for anything you can conceive of. They're extremely context dependent. Even if it's something you never thought about buying before, you will, your neurology will automatically create a list of arbitrary parameters that, 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 that tells you this is right for me. 
How does this work in sales, in interviews? We have a process called the interview crusher where you just have employers salivating to hire you in spite of the fact that you may not you may have the least impressive resume on the uh, on the pile. And it's all without lying, cheating or stealing. It's the most ethical way to communicate with people. But you need to understand that when people talk to you, there's something that there's an emotional need they're trying to satisfy. So if somebody's coming to you and they're saying, so I'm curious, um, you know, Mr. So-and-so, like say we're doing real estate. So, you know, everybody wants the perfect house. And I'm sure you've had houses you've liked and you've had houses that you didn't like. But I'm curious, just so I can make sure I give you exactly what you're looking for so I can help you find that perfect house. If you could describe that perfect house, what would that be like? What does it have to have? Right. They're going to give me a list of things. Whatever they say, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to agree with them. I'm going to repeat back verbatim everything they just said. And I'm going to ask you something. I'm going to ask them something else. So I'm curious if you were to have a. What's important to you about that? What's that going to do for you? And many times they'll they'll give you another parameter or they'll tell a story. About, well, you know, I, I want a big kitchen. Well, I'm curious, what's important you have to have a big kitchen? Well, you know, I've always loved big kitchens. When I was a kid, my mom had this big kitchen and she would spend all day baking cookies and we would just walk in and we'd all just hang around that big dinner table and I could just remember the smell of cookies. So kitchens have always, big kitchens have always symbolized a home for me. Excellent. And so I might say, just to, to kind of abbreviate it, when it comes time for me to talk about my product or service, I'm not going to talk about a bathroom. I'm not going to talk about a living room. I'm not going to talk about the great schools down the street. I'm not going to talk about how they've just put a new roof on. I'm only going to talk about that big kitchen and how it's great for families. And I'm going to use as many of their words to do it. And what you will literally see is their pupils will dilate, their face will flush, and they'll start going. (laughs) Right. And you can test this. You elicit the criteria and you can drill down. You could drill down right from big kitchen to family. And what's important about families getting together and having a good time? Oh, just being connected with the people I love. And you can literally say, we're going to make sure we find you that perfect house with that big kitchen. So you can have those big family gatherings and spend time with the people you love and you will see their eyes water. And what will happen is they will have all those feelings while they're looking at you. And you will get connected to those feelings and they will start to feel like, hey, you get me. You really understand. You know what I want. And you do. You know them better now than than 27 other salespeople or representatives that they've talked to. And you know exactly what to show them. You know exactly what to give them. So you can serve them better. And as long as you keep using their words and you only talk about the things that they mentioned At some point, it flips a switch in their neurology and they'll just do business with you out of default. Nine times out of 10, there won't be any objections. The only time you get objections is when you start talking about things they're not interested in. Yeah, the we think that is important and then just push them further, further away and mistakes that I see over and over again in mm-hmm. every aspects of personal and professional life. Mm-hmm. So what you just shared, David, is insanely valuable, specifically so many people are looking for a job and they're trying to get that five minutes conversation mm-hmm. potentially to explore if, 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 you know, what is going on with the organization and how they can fit with the culture, whatever scenario it might mm-hmm. be. And you also demonstrated how important it is to ask right questions. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, on, on a leadership level, this same process, if you lead teams, this process can save your bacon when putting a team together. Because remember, I said that people have these emotional drivers for what they do. They have this checklist, right? Yes. They have the feeling and they have the label that they assign. So we call that a value. But every, but some people have different rules for getting the same value. And that's where a lot of our problems start. So if you put a team together and the values on the members of that team don't match, you're going to have conflict left and right. People are going to be doing their own thing. They're not going to prioritize. So the way a leader uses this to build a team and get everybody cohesive is elicits the values, the things that are important about being part of that team, about the job that they do, and make sure that they're all compatible. They all have the same values in roughly the same order. And then you look at how do they go about satisfying those values, the behaviors they're looking for. For example, let's say we have two people on a team. Their core value is respect. Right. And, and, and you agree, you know, respect is absolutely important that people in a, in a relationship, professional or otherwise, show respect to each other. But just so I understand you better, how do you know? How do you know when you're being respected? And person A says, well, that's easy. I know you respect me when you tell me the truth. You don't worry about whether it's going to hurt my feelings or not. You just tell me the truth because you know I need to hear it. You say, perfect. I get that. I totally get that. You talk to person B on the team and say, well, what's, what's the most important value to you with the team? Well, respect. Excellent. Well, respect means a lot of things to a lot of different people. How do you know when you're being respected? And this person says, well... You know, you tell me what I need to know and you do it in a way that doesn't offend me. You, you think about what you say before you say it. And you don't, don't slam me upside the head with negative criticism or negative feedback, whether you think it's deserved or not. You just you just think before you speak. Now, what happens when these two people get in a disagreement? Each one's going to claim that the other's not respecting them, even though they have the same core value. Why? Their rules are different. And I see this in agents of demonstrator respects are different. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes incumbent on the people who understand how other people work and how other people move through the world to change what they do to fit the other person's map so that that person can perceive that they're getting what they need. And then they become highly motivated, highly bonded and highly loyal to those people. It feels a little uncomfortable for the person who has to do the changing. But that's yeah. part of being a leader. It's getting comfortable being uncomfortable and managing these different things. But when you're building the team, you know, if the team's already together, you're kind of stuck with what you got unless you can you have the ability to move people in and out of the team in a way that's not going to destroy the, the, co the cohesiveness of the group. But if you're putting together a team, oh, that's that's a prime opportunity to elicit the values, elicit the rules and make sure they all line up with the company, the leader and each other. And then everybody know everybody's on the same page. Excellent, 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 because I, I always see a desire to create a high-performing teams, and that is the focus, and then also to create a great healthy culture in order to have a great organization. But when leadership doesn't have no sense of what that looks like, feels like to them, and they're not in alignment, they can never obtain that. Mm -hmm. And I always look at the problem from always from the top, because it doesn't matter how much individual contributors can do, they always feel alignment and they burn out, as mm -hmm. you know that very well. And they will leave or they will underperform or they will just try to make themselves invisible because it's too much stress or pressure to deal with otherwise. Mm -hmm. So uh, you just really... Get 
gave us so many great tools here. So when we reflect on all the work and everything you've been doing so far, do you mind sharing, given the fact what we experience on, on the large global scale and obviously in the United States, what would you recommend for people either on the leadership high level to their, their supporters and, and, and talent across the organization, what to do to better self-regulate for to be better contributor and have a better um, uh, understanding and self-awareness in order to function more most effectively during the challenging times. Sure, um, it's going to come back to focus, but I'm going to I'm going to have to kind of elaborate on this. You know, there's every, everybody who's been in the self-help field or the personal development field, self-actualization knows that focus on the things you want, not on the things you don't want. But there's a fly in the ointment when it comes to that. <laughs> yes. You see, negative emotions have about two to six times more gravity to them than positive emotions. So when you focus on the things you want, you feel pleasure. Focus on the things you don't want, you feel bad. The problem is, is, is if you know to focus on the positive things, you've got six times the gravity sucking you back to focus on the negative. Right. So one of the things that we have to do is we have to dissolve and, and minimize the negativity by dissolving them from our body feelings. Right. How do we do that? First and foremost, control your posture, control your breathing. Next thing you want to do is you want to focus on the feeling, color, breathe it out to minimize it. Create the movies of the things that make you feel happy, that make you feel joyful, the things you want instead. Wash it through the area. Now you've got a cleaner vessel. You have less gravity sucking you away from the things you know you need to focus on. And you want to make big, massive movies in your head of what it's like to have those things, of the benefits, not the tasks you have to, 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 to perform to get there, but the benefits of actually having it, how good it's going to be when you do. Because the moment you start focusing on the rewards at the end of the rainbow, you start going from external motivation to internal motivation. You start moving from pain-centric motivation to pleasure-centered motivation. Now, you need both sets. You need aways and towards. But as a rule, if we're trying to maintain focus, what happens a lot of times is people, like especially at New Year's resolutions, right? People say, I'm going to lose 30 pounds. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to look awesome naked, right? And and so what happens is they have that 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 picture in their head. Of, of you know their best friends from the, at the class reunion swallowing their tongue because they look so good in that new dress or you know they they're you know their partners are swooning because they have this buff body they're seeing all these pictures of the things they're going to have for about the first couple three weeks but at some point along the way in most people their focus shifts they stop focusing on the reward and start focusing on the task that, that, needs, that needs to be performed to get the reward. And all of a sudden, the pain starts. And they, they become reactant to themselves. They stop saying, I want to, I will to, I need to, I have to, I must. And we don't react well to being to having to do something. For people telling us we must do something. We don't like that neurologically. And so we start to rebel against ourselves. One of the fastest ways to get your motivation back is focus on what you're going to get, not on what you got to do. And, and that's one of the things that we can, in this time, a lot of people, there were, there, there were several ways you could, you could deal with what's going on. Some people hunkered down to batten the hatches, hoarded their toilet paper and just waited for the storm to pass. Right? Yes. And a lot of these people lost their livelihoods because of it. 
right? Others said, okay, this is, this is what it is. How do I make the best of it? How do I pivot? How do I adapt? Where, what are the opportunities here? And they found ways. They retooled their businesses. They retooled their attitudes to, to optimize what they could do. And, there, and a lot of people, in spite of all the lockdowns and the shortages and the, the restrictions, are having some of the, had 2020 was one of the best years ever. Why? Because of the way they chose to think about the situation. There was nothing they could do about the situation itself, but there was a lot they could do about their situation, about how they approached solving the problem. Right. And that's a lot of what determines where you're going to go. That's what being a leader is. It's being, okay, this is my situation. Where are my opportunities? What can I, what can I control? That is gold. That is gold. And then you spot on when we focus on what we have control over it, we make tremendous strides and we keep going. Mm-hmm. But when we focus in on what we can't, we're stuck. Mm-hmm. And, and as a result, miserable. And, and that affects also everybody else around us. Mm-hmm. Such, a, such a huge differentiator factor. Simple, but extremely, extremely yeah. important. The thing that screws people most up most, it is simple. When, when you hear it, focus on what you want, not on what you don't want. That's not the problem. The problem is you have this thing called a body. Yes. That generates feelings that sucks your attention towards it. Yes. So if you if you listen to me on Clubhouse, you know, I'm in there with Marcel and I'm in there with Lance and a bunch of really high level people. And they're 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 changing people's mindsets by by asking questions and putting them on the spot and doing pattern interrupts. And people and they ask me to do something, I say, point to where you feel it. Because you can change your mind in the short term using language. But the moment you're in a context that triggers those body feelings, all of a sudden your focus gets sucked back to dealing with that. So I tell people, and I tell this, I say this every day in my classes, people move through the, through the world with the equivalent of a jet engine and an anchor strapped to their back. And it's the difference between the drag from the anchor and the thrust from the engine that determines how far they get, how fast. Now, most people are moving through the world trying to put more thrust in the engine which sounds good on the surface, except if you've got an anchor behind you, it creates more drag. Whereas if you just cut the anchor, you take off like a rocket, right? That anchor for us is that excess negative body feeling, which is connected to issues that we need to resolve, that pulls our focus away from the things we want and onto the things we don't. And if we just got to put that into the equation, keeping our minds on what we want would be a whole lot easier. Wow. You're spot on. So true. And 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 and, and then figuring what that is that is holding us back mm-hmm. and being honest in that process and truly let it go. That is also a huge, huge uh, opportunity of potential to make that tremendous shift. And mm-hmm. as we're diving now in 2021, what would be the message for people that are watching and listening to, uh, to you sharing so much value in this segment um, for their success and, 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 for things that they can actually start implementing? And also, where would you like them to uh, find more about you and and your great work that you're doing? Well, here's where we start. There's six six key phases to human influence in any context. The first is you got to control your state. Before you can even do that, you got to know what you want. Define for yourself 
what you want and why it's important to you. What are you going to feel when you have it? What's really driving your bus, right? That's going to inspire you. That's going to fire you up. You're going to control your state for whatever context you need to operate in. You're going to get rapport with whoever you need to get rapport with, and you're going to use whatever language skills you have. And for most people, the most powerful one are the most powerful words any human being can hear are the ones that just came out of their mouth. Okay. Use those to, to manage the state of the person you're seeking to talk to. You find out what it is they want and you talk only about the aspects of your product or service that directly satisfies those needs and you use their words to do it. Brilliant. Right. Brilliant. And if you do that, you're going to find a more people are going to ask you to buy your stuff. More people are going to want to hire you. More people are going to want to do what you ask them to do because they're getting everything that they want in return. And your resistance to those requests is going to drop. But remember also, state control is the secret to everything. If you don't control your state, there are many highly funded, well-paid agencies out there who will happily do it for you. <laughs> so very, very true. So very true. And and David, uh, speaking of the highly paid and skilled agencies, and 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 like yourself, obviously, you're been working with some some most prestigious clients in so many different industries. You mentioned earlier you have a great YouTube channel, obviously website. I will share the links to LinkedIn and whatnot. Perfect. But where would you like to people to learn and discover more about your exceptional work? Well, the first place that I recommend. Um, is, is our YouTube channel, David Snyder, NLP at YouTube.com. Uh, we call it Secrets of Personal Transformation or the Transformation Superhighway. And you will find a broad range of videos with real world uh, actionable techniques that you can take out into the world to transform your life inside, as well as influence and interpersonal relationship building techniques, reprogram your subconscious mind for success, get rid of limiting beliefs and negative emotions, amplify your charisma, win job interviews, detect lies, understand yourself better, this is the full spectrum of the services that we offer. It's all for free on NLP on, on the on our YouTube channel. We have over 300 videos and they're not short videos. The average length of each video is about 90 minutes. Right. Yeah. Um, so this is where I recommend people start and see if what we do and the way we do it resonates with you. And if you want to get involved with us, you can go to our website, www.nlppower.com. That's www.nlppower.com. You can join our newsletter. Um, you can also give us a call at 858-282-4663. That's 858-282-4663 to get personalized information, get specific questions answered. Um, and the best thing to do is just watch our YouTube. We do lots of, of free events. We do lots of AMAs and things of that nature. Uh, so YouTube, NLP Power, We also you can also reach out to us on Facebook, but uh, we recommend you, you, you sample some of our content first and see if it resonates with you. Um, and, and then just follow the, follow the path and reach out to us directly at NLP power 282, uh, sorry, 858-282-4663. And we'll tell you where to go and what to do to get the life you want, the way you want it with the, the minimum amount of steps possible. 
That is brilliant. And the listeners and everybody that is watching this, I will definitely make sure that I post in the links with for the website to YouTube channel and the number that David provided. But also what I want to make sure, again, guys, uh, please take a chance on yourself and invest in yourself when you have a tremendous opportunity right now uh, to access that information. Please, please take action because your life will tremendously change. So And follow Isabella on, on Clubhouse. <laughs> Thank you, David. But also, before I let you go, do you mind just sharing? I'm just so impressed again with your mastery and how much time, effort, and years of work and crafting your art you invested mm-hmm. in. And that shows an average, not only you share tonight, but over and over again in situations that I've had a chance to hear you. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what what is next? What is the, on your on your next list to do? I mean, I feel like you you're married. You have a son. You mentioned about working with him very closely. Seems like a lot of things you accomplished personally and professionally. So what's in your bucket list? And then also, I'm just curious, what would you like to be remembered by? What would you like to your legacy to be? I would like I would like to see the people I teach. pay it forward to take the light and the techniques that they learn from me and transform their life and go out and change other people's lives to make their life, everything they want it to be and show everybody that they encounter how to get everything they want by helping other people get what they want and just pay it forward. The legacy, I want a world where people understand the true power inside of them because if you, if you could see, Humans, the way I, I've, I've told this to my class today, in one way or another, in the past 30 years that I've been involved in a lot of this, I have looked into the hearts and minds of literally tens of thousands of people in one way or another. And every time you peel back the layers, you yes. see pretty much the same thing. You see a child, a little child, desperate to be loved and accepted and terrified of being alone. And if you can give that child that experience, that knowledge that they are loved, that they are good enough, that they are accepted, right or wrong, forgiven for all wrongs, real or imagined, they can go through anything. They become some of the strongest, most loving, most resilient, resourceful people imaginable. And it's the only person who can do that is the person themselves. And there's ways that you can do that. And and there's ways that you can influence people in an ethical, honest way and get every single thing you want. So if my legacy of anything is to empower the people who, who, who see the resonance with these materials, with these techniques, to unlock the magic and the power inside of them and create, to create the life that you want the way you want it. And as a byproduct of that, the world itself will change. I can't agree more, and that is amazing legacy to have. That is exceptional, David. So, wow, you're already doing that. Just, I mean, you're already. My goal is to get bigger. I just want to reach more people. And and that's why we are doing things like this, where we're going to expand and extend the reach in different communities. And again, guys, if you find a value, which I know you did already just by listening to David in this episode, please share and expand further because this can change somebody's life. And a lot of people right now struggling. And this is, again, gifted. I am giving also as, as a creating opportunity platform to share such amazing talent with everybody in my 
that global sphere. So again, thank you, David. My it was pleasure. an absolute pleasure. And I look forward to continue uh, seeing what you're up to and circling back and then changing the world with you together on, on many different levels that we can. Thank you. I look forward to it. Have a great night. You too. Thank you for listening to the Unlimited Influence Reprogram Your Subconscious Mind with Dr. David Snyder. Stay updated by visiting at www.davidsnydernlp.com and follow social media accounts. If you want to reprogram your subconscious mind, don't hesitate to call me at 858-282-4663 and we can talk more about what your mind has to offer. 